Brenda's going to hand out some third week in a row. I'm almost creating a habit of making notes, uh, at least Bible verses, so that you can make a few comments and notes here and there uh, throughout the message. If you need a handout, raise your hand. If you don't, don't raise your hand. Um, Again, I was told the other day that I am one of the fastest talkers when I preach of anybody that uh, she had ever heard, and I will confess that is true. Uh, Rick said it many times, and he's, he can flip the pages probably as good as anybody get to and from verses, and, and still has a hard time keeping up, so he cheats with that iPad, and he can flip right to it. Um, but I sometimes forget that I do speak pretty quick, and maybe it's because I want to fit as much information in as possible in a short amount of time. I do take this, the knowledge of this book pretty seriously. Uh, I was taught at a very young age uh, of my faith. When I say young age, I was 26, 27, when I was taught to uh, preach the Word and don't apologize for it. Just preach it. And um, my job is to, to do that, and I hope, Lord willing, I do that in a way that's honoring to Him. And so as we go through this, uh, this sermon today, um, I hope the same thing happens, is that I can speak in a way that glorifies God. And last week, uh, in the week before, I spoke on two subjects. I don't know if, if you haven't had a chance to listen to them on the podcast, I would encourage, encourage you to. But uh, it was on the concept of clothing and the concept of circumcision. And after each of those sermons, I thought, well, this is the end of that little series. I'm going to move on to something different. And... Then the week happened, and I would get an email or a text or a call, or I would hear of a conversation that took place, or somebody was wondering about this or wondering about that. And so I would, you know, forego the thought that I was going to go to a different message, and I was going to continue on on a subject um, that I think is appropriate for the last two weeks. And um, both sermons kind of boiled down, if you want to boil down the sermons, both of them, the, the clothing and the circumcision, they boiled down to the concept of baptism. And I, I got a text message from uh, Jared Ferens. I'm not going to re- repeat it word for word because I'd have to pull it uh, out of the phone, which is in the back, but it said something about how, how basic the teaching is on baptism, how there's a frustration that so many churches divide and fight over this simple subject in a very, what's considered in Hebrews 6, an elementary teaching. Uh, and it was just a frustrating thing for Jared is to, to express to me about why do people fight over this, and it seems pretty simple. Is that kind of the gist of the text message, Jared? Um, and so we looked at Galatians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 2 about being buried with Christ uh, and clothed with Christ in Galatians 3, and then Colossians 2 talks about being circumcised in the heart at baptism. And um, afterwards, I had a really good conversation uh, with Marsh and Marsha, and she said, you know, I, there was a group of people that she's studied with that feel like if they just, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I'm basing it off of a week ago, so uh, bear with me. Marsha listens to this on the podcast. I don't see her today, but it was that there was a group of people that she studied with that have said, well, as long as I'm, as long as I'm baptized and as long as I get, you know, Buried in the water, I'm fine. And I'm good as long as that happens. And, but no repentance was part of the equation. And that was the part of the conversation that I had had with her last week. And, and I said, well, uh, in my opinion, 
in my biblical understanding, baptism without repentance is just a bath. You're just, you're just, you're just, just taking a bath. That's all it is. And so I sent Steve a text message after the message, and I said, well, it looks like I'll be preaching on repentance next week. Uh, because of that conversation, it was, it was, I wanted to be, I want to be clear so that people don't leave here thinking that I believe something that I don't. I want to be clear, it's my understanding of Scripture, and I, I believe the Scriptures are very clear, and I, I think the Bible is very deep, and there's a lot of subjects in it, and there's a lot of words, and there's a lot of sentences, and they all come together, and they make this beautiful picture of what God's overall plan is. And so we're going to be talking today about, and this is going to surprise you maybe where I'm going with this, but we're going to talk today about a man in the Bible that Jesus says the greatest, who is the greatest born among women. And uh, I'm obviously referring to uh, John the Baptist. Now I've met, in my life I've been, I don't know if you're fortunate or not, it's just circumstances, I've met a lot of people that I would consider uh, by the world standards are pretty great. Uh, I had lunch with a billionaire about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And we had grilled cheese and tomato soup. Just a normal guy that just hit the right invention and sold it for $4.4 billion. And so I was having lunch with a billionaire. And he was just a normal guy that was really smart. Um, I've, I've been close friends with professional athletes. Um, I've, um, I've grown up with some of them that played professional baseball. I've met Dan Fouts, who was a quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. I met him when I was a kid. Um, uh, I met Ted Cruz. Everybody know Ted Cruz? Shook hands with Ted Cruz at dinner in Washington, D.C. Uh, just happened to run into him there. And uh, for those of you that just love our local congresswoman, I, I met Lauren Boebert. Some may say boo, some may say yay. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying I like her, love her, don't like her. I'm just saying. I've met people that were pretty, in the world standards in some circles, were pretty spectacular. Met a lot of really successful entrepreneurs and businessmen. But out of all those people, none of them ever had every character, trait, integrity, empathy, success, quality of someone that I would say they're the greatest person I've ever met. Is that making sense? I've met a lot of people, but I've never, no one I would say that's the greatest person I've ever met. Everybody always kind of falls short. Yet Jesus says of this man, John the Baptist, he's the greatest born among women. But he qualifies it right after that. So go with me to Luke. Chapter 7, you see how I'm talking slower? I am really trying. If I get going quick again, it's just, it, it might take a few weeks to slow down a little bit. But Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 24, and there's going to be a lot of scriptures read today, and that's why I gave you this handout as well, so you can make a note and go back and read it yourself. But in verse 24, Luke 7, it says, After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what you did go out to see? But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So that's a whole other subject. We're not going to dive into what he means when he says, uh, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I believe, real quickly, he's talking about no prophet, no greater man was born than John the Baptist. Of all the prophets that have been out in the history of prophecy, John the Baptist is the greatest 
prophet. And then he says, whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest born of women. Now, when I look at this, I, I also think of this passage in Matthew chapter 11. So if you flip back, it's basically the same conversation. But if you go to Matthew 11, and just put your finger there for a minute. In Matthew chapter 11, put your finger there, and then turn back in your Bibles about five pages or six pages, depending on which Bible you're in, and you're going to go to the book of Malachi. Now remember, this, the subject matter today is is repentance, and now it's John the Baptist. We're going to talk about those two things today. So in Malachi chapter 4, the very last couple of verses in Malachi chapter 4 and in the recorded Old Testament, before the 400 years of silence, it says in verse 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 11. Because he says in Matthew 4, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Now in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking. He says the same thing that he did in Luke. It's the same recorded thing when he says, what did you go out to see into the desert in verse 7? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. And then if you go ahead and skip a bit ahead in verse 11, he says, I tell you the truth. Among these, those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he, meaning John, is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is saying that John the Baptist was the Elijah who is to come. So my understanding in Malachi chapter 4 is that he says, I will send Elijah ahead of me. He's referring to John the Baptist. That's my understanding of, I mean, am I, am I off here, Steve? You, you think I'm right on? Okay, you think that's my understanding, interpretation is correct on that. Okay, I, I do too, or I wouldn't be up here saying it. And I'm open to saying, well, because I've had people say, no, it's actually the reincarnate, and they made a mistake, but I just feel like it's in the spirit of Elijah, and there's another passage that talks about that, that he came in the spirit of Elijah. Now, and I look at these verses, and I see that Jesus calls him the greatest born among women, and that he was the prophet Elijah who was to come. Um, this prophet John needs to be studied. He needs to be understood. We need to know why God sent him. We need to know why he came, why he was put here on this earth. And so I, I set out years ago to do a study on John the Baptist, and I just call it the beginning. And... We're going to look in the book of Luke, chapter 1, and if this doesn't interest you, my goal is to make it interesting. I'm doing my best because this is so applicable to us today. This 2,000 years ago is applicable to us today. What, what is going on today, God was referring to it back then. He was dealing with it back then. He was setting up what we're dealing with today. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, there's a story 
And it's, it, it's titled in the NIV of the Bible that I read at, which I'm really quickly going to be going to the ESV soon. So we're going to see some two Bibles up here in, in the near future, I believe. But um, in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, now, all, this, all these details about this story are very important, but they're, they're important for a lot of reasons. I don't want to dive into why is it important that she came from Aaron, and why is it important that he came from Abijah and the priestly division. That stuff's just getting in the weeds. But what I want to focus on is the story of John the Baptist. When Zechariah, who was a priest, when his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense had come, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, this is the priest Zechariah, when he saw the angel, he was, a, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. Now, it's important to understand when a father is is, is the, when, when a mother gives birth to a son, oftentimes they would take the father's name or someone in the family of, of the father. But they said, he, uh, you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, uh, he, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the, and power of Elijah. There's the spirit and the power. That's why I feel the physical John is the spirit of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, which is the prophecy back, prophecy back in Malachi chapter 4. So Zechariah has this vision from an angel while he's in the temple at the altar of incense, and he says, your wife's going to have a son, you're going to name him John, and he's going to lead Israel to the righteous one. Okay? He is preparing the way. He's preparing the way for the, for the Messiah. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I'm not going to do a rabbit trail here, but... He questioned the angel of the Lord. Now, if you read what's next, it causes me, when God says something, to just go, okay. Listen to what happens next. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well long years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now... You will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. 
So because you said, wait a second, how can I be sure I'm an old man? How is my wife going to have a child? I'm an old man and Elizabeth's old. He goes, because you questioned me, because you didn't believe me, you're going to go mute. You're not going to be able to speak. So that was the punishment, or that was a circumstance for, for not, believing, uh, not believing the angel Gabriel. Now, if you, we can continue on to read the story, but the, the next part of the story, so he, he's mute, he comes out, and it says, uh, meanwhile, the, verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remain unable to speak. So the vision is, your wife's going to have a son, you're going to name him John, you're not going to be able to speak until the appointed time because you doubt it. So fast forward, you know, we have Mary visiting Elizabeth, and um, she goes and, and uh, the, the baby leaps in her womb, and she's filled with the Spirit, and, um, oh, there's so many... Ra- tangents I want to go on. I'm really struggling not to because I'm, I read through this again this morning and I was like, oh man, verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That's a poor translation. Steve, what does yours say in verse 50? Yeah. 150. Toward those who fear him. That word extends to those who fear him. I'm not going to get into it. I'm sorry. I started to I talked to Brenda about it this morning, but just the, the translation there I struggled with. But anyway, Luke 1, verse 57. Now this is the birth of John the Baptist, and it's being foretold. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. So Elizabeth has this son based on a promise from God, promise from the Lord that came through Gabriel, and she gave birth to a son, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah the priest, who is now mute because he questioned the angel. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name or that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. So he wrote down his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard about this wondered about it, and asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So, summary. Uh, Zechariah goes into the temple. He sees the angel. The angel promises that Elizabeth's going to have a son. They have a son. His mouth is opened by the Spirit of God. And he says his name is John, not Zechariah. After he writes his name is John. And he begins praising God. Then something happens in Luke chapter 1, 67. Remember, we're talking about repentance how it links up with baptism, possibly, and John the Baptist. So we're laying this story of what's going on in the New Testament with the prophet John. So Zechariah, this priest, it says he is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. 
So Zechariah, who was part of the priesthood, goes into the temple, offers the sacrifices, saw the angel Gabriel. God was speaking through him, through the Holy Spirit. He's prophesying. And the first part of his prophecy, he's talking about Jesus. And he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the land or the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he switches who he's referring to here. He just was talking about Jesus through the Holy Spirit's prophesying. And now he says, and you, my child, he's referring to the son that his wife had just given birth to. Nobody debates that. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Fulfilling prophecy back in Malachi, you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So here we have this little infant, circumcised on the eighth day. He, uh, God loosens Zechariah's mouth, and he's prophesying through the Holy Spirit, and he says about his son, and you, my child, John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then it says he went into the desert. Now let's fast forward about 30 years. Okay? Fast forward 30 years and go to Luke chapter 3. Flip the page. I love how God in his infinite wisdom wrote the details of John chapter 3, 1 through 3. Because he spells out who is in charge, when were they in charge, because it helps with the timeline of understanding when Jesus was around and when he did this. I mean, it's just awesome what God does. So in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, that's harder to read than you, like out loud, guys, come on. That was not easy. All right. So, um, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. So now it says earlier that John the Baptist uh, was living in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So now it says that Zechariah received the word of God, or I'm sorry, John the Baptist received the word of God in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And then it goes on to talk about, as it is written in the book of Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. So John's ministry begins, and he's going out, and he's baptizing in the desert region. He's baptizing in the countryside, and he, he leaves 30 years of wandering, eating locusts and honey, and he's wearing clothes made of camel's hair, and then he comes out of the desert, and he begins preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in John chapter 1, as we, we, we forward uh, one gospel message, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 1, um, the question was, why was John baptizing? Like, we know that's what he was teaching, we know that he was doing. If I, if I continue to read on in Luke, it talked about people were coming out to him. Um, sorry, I, I missed that part of it. It says, in Luke chapter 3, it says, in verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. I didn't want you to think I was just making that up. But they were coming out. People were coming out to be baptized by John. He says, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from this coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping from repentance. And when they said, what should we do then? And he was giving them an idea of what does it mean of repentance? The part of repentance is the man with two tunics should share with him one who has none. The tax collector says, what should we do? And they said, don't collect, any, or John said, don't collect any more than you're required to. Some of the soldiers came and said, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Those are all fruits of repentance that he's talking about. And so John's going out, he's, he's baptizing them in the Jordan River. He's teaching them about repentance and fruits of repentance. And in John chapter 1, again, why was John baptizing? And in John chapter 1, there's this story when I read it the first time, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I was reading it, and I'm like, what an odd question for someone to ask John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, in verse 19, it says, in John 1.19, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. He is baptizing people in the Jordan River, and people are saying, I wonder if this is the Christ. And he said, clearly, I am not the Christ. Um, they asked him then, who are you? Are, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. So he came in the spirit of Elijah, but he was not Elijah. He was not reincarnated as Elijah. He was, came in the spirit of Elijah. He says, I am not Elijah. He says, are you the prophet? If you look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, that's a good reference on your notes for to answer the question, are you the prophet, is very specific. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, now these are the Jews of Jerusalem who were sent out to ask him who he was because he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. I'm here to prepare the way for Jesus. That was John's job. Now, some Pharisees, this was the question that was asked of me, or that I read, that was asked of John, that I read, that somebody asked me, why did it say that? I went, I don't know. When they said, the Pharisees who knew the Torah, they knew the Pentateuch, they knew the Bible, they knew the prophecies, they knew the prophets, they knew everything, they studied this, this was their life. And he said, why then, who's that? I'm just kidding. He said, might have been me. I'm sorry. I got to shut it on. He says, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And I found that to be one of the most interesting questions 
I can find in Scripture. Because nowhere before this is the word baptism or the teaching of baptism just out in your face. But he asks that these, these religious leaders, these knowledgeable scholars of God's word, said, why do you then baptize if you are not the Christ, if you are not Elijah, and if you're not the prophet? And John said, I baptize with water. But among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I am here to prepare the way for the greatest ever, which is Jesus. And then this all happened on the other side of the Jordan. So why was he baptizing? Again, why was he baptizing? Why, why was he baptizing? If you continue to read this passage, going through, in verse 29, John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man come, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I've always read, I've read that in times, I'm like, that's kind of confusing. Let's just break that down. A man who comes after me, you have John the Baptist, born first. He's preparing the way for Jesus. A man who comes after me has surpassed me. Jesus surpassed John because he was before me. He was in the beginning. Does that make sense now? The one who comes after me, John was born, Jesus was born, the one who comes after me has surpassed me, because he's greater, because he was before me. He was at the beginning. So John tells him, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. They were cousins. Do you not know your cousin, Jared? Now we have text and Facebook and social media. We've talked about this in one of our studies that I thought was an interesting topic, but um, someone's back here kicking me, telling me to stop. Uh, I myself did not know him, but the reason, remember I asked the question, why was John baptizing? Did I ask that earlier? John's going to answer it. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. I'm almost getting emotional here. There are a quadrillion zillion ways for God to say, this is my son. This is my son. This is the savior of the world. This is going to be the one who redeems you from your sin, from your struggle. This is him. A thousand ways, a million ways. And for some reason, God chose John baptizing Jesus to say, this is my son. The reason I came baptizing in Israel. The reason that I came baptizing in the Jordan River. The reason 
I came baptizing with water was that Jesus could be revealed to Israel. And then he doubles down. And he says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit after, if you go to Matthew 3, you see the baptism of Jesus. And you see all of these pictures of John baptizing Jesus and these paintings. And he says, the reason I gave John this testimony, I saw the Spirit, or the, then John gave his testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water, which presumably is God, except the one, and I'm open to a different person that sent him to baptize. I've just always assumed based that God sent John to baptize with water in Israel. The, uh, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So why did John the Baptist, why did John the Baptist come to this earth? It was to reveal the Messiah. It was to prepare the way for the Messiah. That, that was his whole purpose. It was to teach God's people, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 76 and 77, it says to give his people, God's people, the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's what John the Baptist taught. That's what he practiced. That's what he, he showed people. That's how he revealed Jesus to Israel. That's how he reveals Jesus to us. Saying, this is the one right here. I'm going I'm to prove it to you because I'm going to baptize him. And when I baptize him in water, the Holy Spirit's going to come down, heaven's going to open, and God's going to speak and says, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. It is this little passage in John 1, uh, 19 through 34, is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible about why John the Baptist came. And I, I wrote this question here because I think it's important. You know, if you look at Mark, now we're going to go to another gospel, Mark chapter 1, and we already read it in Luke chapter 3, but I want to read it again because every writer seems to address this issue. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, I'll let you get there, Mark 1, 1 through 4, says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the writer Mark saying, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written, it's interesting, the beginning of the gospel, they're going back to Isaiah. It is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John saying through Isaiah, make straight paths for the Lord. And so John came, remember he came out of the desert, he was in the desert for 30 years and then he started his ministry. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you tie that in with Luke chapter 1, verse 76 and 77, what John the Baptist is teaching is how to have their sins forgiven. That's what he's teaching them. And what he's teaching them is a baptism of repentance. A baptism of repentance. 
When John the Baptist was baptizing people, did they receive forgiveness of sins? Dennis? No. No. In fact, I have no, no, no <laughs> written right here. If that were the case, if forgiveness of sins could happen because of John's baptism, then what Jesus did on the cross is a moot point. Not mute, but moot. It's a moot point. It didn't matter. But we know that's not the case. We know that there had to be a shedding of blood for there to be forgiveness of sins. And so this whole concept that John the Baptist was baptizing for the forgiveness of sins is, a, is an incorrect understanding of Scripture. What he was teaching was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was preparing the way for Jesus. That's what he was doing. But his teaching is consistent throughout the New Testament. Now, interesting facts about John. We're going to wrap up here in a minute. I'm starting to smell the chili. Interesting facts about John. John was sent by God to teach people how to have their sins forgiven. Luke 1, 76 and 77. Write that down or highlight it in your paper. The other one is in Luke 7. Now this, I'm not going to make this a teaching moment, but I'm going to make this a head-scratcher moment for every one of you here. If you're interested in the subject and really want to in-depth understand God's Word when it comes to what is a baptism of repentance. In Luke chapter 7, after Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then it gets into a, 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 a what is that, a, not a parenthesis, but a, what do you call that little, who are the English people here? Is it a parenthesis? All right. Thank you, Peg. So the, the writer Luke stops the teaching of Jesus, and then he puts in his thought here. And I, I'm, again, I'm not teaching on this. I'm just, this is an interesting, if you dissect this passage here, it says, all these people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Something about John's baptism of repentance allowed the people of the day to acknowledge that God's way was just, that God's way was right. I am 100% open on any teaching that I give from the pulpit, especially something like this, and I'm not going to say this is what it means. I've done the research, I've studied the, the, the Greek, I've studied the Hebrew, this is what this passage means, based in light of Scripture. This is a head-scratcher to me. I think there's a couple ways to put it, but I find it interesting that the, the religious leaders of the day couldn't accept John's teaching and couldn't accept that God's way was right because they had refused to be baptized by John. John was teaching a baptism of repentance to turn from their way of thinking, to turn from the law, and to focus on Jesus, to focus on the one coming after him. And it's all, it's all central around this, it's all kind of around this concept of a baptism of repentance. Now, oftentimes people remove the baptism side of God's plan. I've, I've heard it for, 
I've heard it for 20 years that I've been paying attention. And what they'll do is they'll say, repent, and you're right with God. Say a prayer, and you're right with God. And when I study the teaching of John the Baptist, and when I see what John the Baptist was sent on earth here to do, and I look at what John on earth did, and then I look at the very first sermon preached, I'm not a, I had to ask Peg if parentheses was this thing. I'm obviously not an English scholar, but I, I can read. And so I looked up this word and in the dictionary, and the word and, by definition, is a word used to connect words of same part of speech, clauses, or sentences that are to be taken jointly. Example, bread and butter. Peanut butter and jelly. Fall and hunting season. I mean, they all go together. They link something. And then if you study Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning, when Peter is giving this message to the thousands or millions of people that are there on the day of Pentecost, and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and and Christ, Lord and Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And they, they were cut to the heart. They were pain cut to the heart. And they say to brother and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We are, we're going to be found guilty in a court of law for crucifying the Son of God. What is our response to that? And Peter replied simply, repent and be baptized. That word and links repentance and baptism together. And it's the same teaching that John the Baptist taught, who the angel Gabriel prophesied he would be born. The Holy Spirit prophesied through Zechariah, you're going to go on before the Lord to make straight paths for him. You're going to go on before to teach God's people, give them the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. He taught repentance, baptism. And so to answer Marcia's question from last week, so if somebody can just get dunked in water, I would say my biblical understanding is no, that's a bath. What's important is repentance. Baptism is your response to that repentance. That's what it is. Baptism is your response to saying, I'm turning. I'm, I'm turning 180. I'm going. God wants me this way. I'm going that way. That's the baptism of repentance. When I look at Scripture, I, I'm going to tell you now, I can't see it any other way. I've tried. I have sat down and studied, studied, and read it, and read the commentaries, thousands of commentaries. Thousands of commentaries I've read to find out why are they removing this act, this simple act that actually Peter says in his letter, the first letter that he wrote, he says that baptism is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. That's why it's called a baptism of repentance because you're appealing to God for a clear conscience. That as far as the east is from the west, it's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's done. 
like I said, I, I, I'm not going to do the hour thing again. I won't. I promise myself, and even my wife says, I think the question and answer thing you should do after communion if anybody wants to stick around. Um, and I agree with you. I, I, I should have done that, but I was just, the gentleman came in the back and raised his hand, and so I was like, well, bring it on. Let's talk. <laughs> this, this sermon, I, I, I cut out so much information. I cut out so much information that we could go. I did my best to put it in a way that made sense and line it out. Um, I asked God to help, you know, throw it out there so you could understand the order and the importance of what John the Baptist taught. And again, to answer Marcia's question, I've taken a lot of baths. All of you have, you know. But I've only had one baptism of repentance. I've only had one. If you have questions this morning, again, I God's word is heavy. God's word is heavy. I get it. But, however, God's word is perfect. And if you have questions, I already have a couple of meetings and discussions set up with people that are interested to talk about things and um, and I'm open book I'll tell you exactly what I think and I'll tell you where I get what I believe so if you want to get together uh, and talk about this some more then let's get together and talk about it some more let's not put it off let's not wait let's not just say well I want to understand a little bit more well then start understanding a little bit more let's let's start understanding it a little bit more let's start today Amen? All right. Who has communion this morning? Yeah.